When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Honda Days are here at Norm Reeves Honda Superstore. Shop a super selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs. And get holiday deals so good, they belong under your tree. Visit our super award-winning Norm Reeves Honda Superstore locations in Huntington Beach, West Covina, the Irvine Auto Center, Vista, and the number one Honda store in the world in the Cerritos Auto Square. Shop online at normreeves.com. You'll save more Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now, for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And we are back with the Week 2 Sunday recap for today's episode. Of course, we won't be talking about the Sunday night game. That will be tomorrow's show with the Monday night recap and the waiver wire report, which is going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy because the storyline coming out of week two, hands down, has to be the amount of fantasy-relevant injuries. And fantasy-relevant probably isn't even selling it high enough. Superstar level players in the NFL, superstar level fantasy players in the NFL went down to injury today. And not just injuries where they might be back in a week or two, but a lot of significant injuries, a lot of injuries in which may cost some guys this season. Monday, tomorrow, you're, you make sure you are following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow. Make sure you have us with those alerts up because the player news notifications are going to be coming out fast and furious tomorrow morning because there are a plethora of MRIs that we're going to have to get back to you on and get some of the details on with some of these injuries are going to wind up being. And we're going to go through them as we go each, through each one of these games, as we always do, to kind of recap each one, the fantasy analysis behind them. Again, we record this Sunday night, so that way this is available to you guys early Monday morning, just so you can kick it off and get ready. Even though we have still the Monday night game, you can get ready in the mindset of your week three matchups and what to expect moving forward and maybe whose fantasy value has changed and what to do moving forward about your lineups. The big thing to remember, I think, as a a fantasy expert, the big piece of advice that I can give you guys is to remember that even if you are 0-2, you're not out of it. There are still waiver moves you can make. There's still trades you can make. And there's also that key element of the players that you have in your team will play better, most likely unless you have a completely garbage team. But if you're listening to the show, you shouldn't have a completely garbage team. So better days are ahead, even if you're 0-2. It's not 
time to panic yet. So keep that in mind as you head into week three. If you have a trade offer you're not sure about, hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow for Twitter and on Facebook. We're here for you. I'm going to help you out every step of the way. That's what I'm here for. That's what I do this show for. I want everybody who's a part of MD Nation to be in position to win or at least be in position to make the playoffs at the end of the year. Because every year you make the playoffs, even if you don't necessarily win the championship, you still walk away feeling successful in your fantasy endeavors. But that's not what we settle for here, of course. So the big thing to remember is that even if you are going to be 0-2 after this week, it's still not time to panic. So we're going to kick this off with the Buffalo Bills. We're going to kick it off with the Miami Dolphins in this episode. And this game actually was the last 1 o'clock game, or the last early afternoon game, depending on what time zone you're in, to end because they had to go into a lightning delay because they're having some bad storms in the Miami Dolphins. So this game took forever to end. But if you were a Josh Allen owner today, man, were you excited. You didn't want this game to end. 24 of 35 for 417 yards and four passing touchdowns. And only, you know, a mediocre 18 yards on the ground. There were, this Miami secondary is supposed to be pretty good. Now, Byron Jones did get hurt in this game and he had to come out of it. So they were down one of their key corners. But this is supposed to be a secondary, that's supposed to be the strength of this defense. There was deep shot after deep shot after deep shot open for the Bills throughout this game. And to Allen's credit, somebody who I continuously crap on, and I have to be the first one to give him credit, he hit those one-on-one matchups down the field on a pretty consistent basis today. He had five different pass catchers catch either a 26-yarder or more in this game. It was unbelievable. Threw the ball 35 times. That was the other question we had going on the last week when he threw the ball over 40 times. Is this just Josh Allen's team? Are they just going to be a pass-first team? And through the first two weeks, the answer to that question has been yes. So from a fantasy standpoint, regardless of what you think of Josh Allen as, a quarter, as, a, as an NFL quarterback, the fantasy floor is through the roof. It is. Because if he's going to have that kind of volume in the passing game, and we all know he's always a, a, a threat to run, a threat to score a touchdown with his own legs, his floor is ridiculous. And he's going to have one of the highest ceilings amongst any of the quarterbacks moving forward. We had him ranked inside of our top 10. I want to say inside of our top 6 this week. Thank goodness. Because he's going to probably finish the, the week as the number 1 quarterback Maybe number two, depending on where we see if there's any stack corrections with him and Dak Prescott, depending on what kind of scoring format you're in, because Dak Prescott had a big game today too. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, you have Josh Allen. You continue to start him. The one thing about the Buffalo Bills coming into this season is that while I still had Josh Allen as a borderline QB1 because I still questioned whether or not he was going to take the next step as a passer, the one thing I did concede was that they have a very easy schedule for like the first, I want to say, 10 weeks of the season where he's just going to be a QB1 every single one of those weeks, and you don't even have to think about it. So hats off. You have Josh Allen. I do have him in one of my leagues as well, one of my 1,000 leagues. But he's going to be a QB1 the rest of the way. This is a, this is a Josh Allen offense run second. 
Now, speaking of the running game, Devin Singletary got a little bit of the headway in this matchup. 10 carries, 56 yards. He looked he looked much better this game than he did in week one. Zach Moss only got eight carries, 37 yards. Only Devin Singletary was involved in the passing game. He had three targets, two catches, 20 yards. The big thing in this one is that Zach Moss did get a little bit banged up. Again, I watch, you know, I, I try to watch a little bit of each game throughout the day so I can touch on each one of these when I'm recapping with you with them with you on Sunday night. Monday is usually when I'll go back and I'll watch the film on each one of these individual games and get a full insight into exactly what was going on. But with Zach Moss, he came out a little bit in this game. Devin Singletary took over most of the touches after that from that point on in the second half. He looked good with what he had. This is still, as long as they're both healthy, this is still a borderline 50-50 split in my mind. Maybe if you want to make the argument, it's 55-45 in favor of Devin Singletary. But the fact is that while Singletary is somebody you have to roster, while Zach Moss is probably somebody you have to roster, they're nothing more than a low floor flex play moving forward for right now. Until one of these guys either emerges or there's an injury, I don't know when you're going to be trusting to play Devin Singletary or Zach Moss for that matter if this is going to continue to be a Josh Allen offense. They're just not running the ball enough with their running backs. And these have been two games where they were up by a couple scores on the Jets. They were in a close game in this one. So we haven't even seen them in a game script where they've had to come back from behind where it would dictate higher volume in the passing game. We haven't even seen that. And they still haven't been running the football. So you got to keep Devin Singletary. You're not dropping him by any stretch of the means, but to be determined when we're going to feel comfortable playing him in your starting lineups again. As far as receivers go, Stephon Diggs had the big game. Eight catches, 153 yards, a touchdown, 13 targets, head and shoulders, number one target in this game. He was the big, I mean, it was just big play after big play. He had a 47-yarder in this matchup. John Brown, who was actually quiet for most of this game until the very last touchdown scored by the Buffalo Bills, which put the nail in the coffin of the Miami Dolphins, a 46-yard touchdown. So he's able to finish the game with four catches for 82 yards on six targets. A good week two out of him as well. He's somebody who's going to be approaching wide receiver three territory if they're going to continue to throw the ball at this rate because there's going to be enough to go around between Diggs and John Brown, and they're both big play threats. Now, John Brown's going to be a little bit more of a boomer bust threat as you would have suspected he would, but he's going to be a, a wide receiver three who can hit you a home run nonetheless moving forward. I mean, Dawson Knox, he only had one catch this game. He had 38-yarder. Isaiah McKenzie had a 46-yarder. Cole Beasley had the 26-yarder. He wraps up with five catches, 70 yards. Now, I'm not playing any of those guys. just to speak to how many deep balls were available to the Bills' pass catchers in this game. It It was absolutely incredible. On the Dolphins' side of the ball, Ryan Fitzpatrick surprised me. Not necessarily that he surprised me that he threw for 300 yards. He's done that. Not that he surprised me that he had two touchdowns. But he played a clean game against a very good Buffalo Bills defense. Now, part of this could have been the weird nature of this game, having to stop and delay, and the Bills defense didn't look quite right this entire game. But this, nonetheless, this is a good Bills defense, and Fitzpatrick played very well, played much better than he did in Week 1. And the big reason why that's important is that Fitzpatrick's still not approaching our streaming area yet. But you want to make sure the pass catchers, who you do have fantasy value on, are good moving forward. The big one on the day was Mike Gusecki, 
who's been in our streaming tight end territory. He goes for eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Career with 11 targets. Career bests all along the way. What is notable about that, other than it being career best all along the way, is that this is the first time we've seen Mike Kosicki have a good game in his career when all weapons were so healthy and on the field. What I mean by that is Devontae Parker played four quarters in this game. Preston Williams played four quarters in this game. We haven't seen Mike Kosicki have a good game when everybody involved was all on the field. This is the first time that that has happened, and he played well. Is he going to crack the top 10 for us moving forward? It's going to be matchup dependent still. He's still going to be more of a streaming option for us. We're going to have to see it more than just one time. But for Mike Gesicki, truthers out there, this was a step in the right direction without a doubt. Now, part of it, too, is the matchup. The tight end, the slot receiver, they're the ones who are going to have the mismatches against the Buffalo Bills because the perimeter corners are going to be pretty good. Having said that, though, Devontae Parker, five catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets, and probably most importantly about Parker is that he did not re-aggravate the hamstring injury, which is what we were all pretty much concerned about. I have a lot of leagues where I kept Parker on the bench because I was definitely worried about him re-injuring after he had a sort of scare last week and got knocked out of the game. If he was able to get through this week without re-aggravating the injury, he might be pretty good moving forward. We know that as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback, they'll give him 50-50 shots. And he's got better matchups ahead. I mean, he was he had to be paired up on Travis White most of this game. And he still wound up walking away with a decent game at the end of the day. And more times than not, he's going to be the lead target. So definitely a positive sign. Devontae Parker is somebody we're going to be able to utilize more and more now after a little bit of a rough start to the season as far as whether or not you could trust to plug him into your lineup. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. That's the good news. Preston Williams, however, now this guy, we can't hit the uh, the flush button on this guy simply because in his situation, he is not more than 50% owned on average, which I was a little surprised by because he was somebody who had great promise coming in. So we're not going to hit the flush button on him, but he is somebody, if he's on your roster, go ahead and drop him. And believe you me, a lot of people are going to need to make roster moves this week. So he's somebody you can go ahead and drop if he is on your roster. I will mention Isaiah Ford, seven catches, 76 yards on nine targets, played mostly as a slot wide receiver in this game. Still not something I'm going to be picking up, but under Chan Gailey, multiple wide receivers tend to have value or tend to have production, so it's something we're going to keep our eyes on moving forward. As far as the running game goes, I don't know if there's a Dolphins running back that I really want to play. I feel like we're kind of back to square one like last year. The difference is this year they actually have some talent at that position, 
Jordan Howard's the one who finds the end zone, but he had five carries for four yards in this game. Now, he got nicked up in this game as well, but he was able to come back and finish. That's partly due to, that's partly why, though, he was not in as much as he would have been. He's going to have more volume, especially when it comes to the carries moving forward. But Miles Gaskins is the thing. We saw it last week when Jordan Howard went down. Miles Gaskins had more carries than Matt Breida. I questioned whether that was going to be a thing moving forward. Was it just part of the game flow? Was he just playing well? They decided to keep him in. Gaskin had seven carries. Matt Breida had seven carries. Gaskin went for 46 yards, and Matt Breida went for 37. So Breida, we already hit the flush on him last week to go ahead and drop him. But just this confirms that Miles Gaskin's a part of this rotation. And that there's really just no path for Matt Breida to ever take over, even though I still think he is the best especially the most play, most explosive option, but the best, to me, pure running option that they have. And it doesn't seem like there's really a path for him to take over unless there was multiple injuries to this Dolphins lineup back there. So just kind of duly note there. Moving on, Giants, Bears, probably one of the quietest fantasy games as far as production goes, but one of the loudest when it comes to injury. Saquon Barkley, we don't have the confirmation yet. Again, we are recording this Sunday night. By the time you hear this podcast, it may be official, but it does sound like it's going to wind up being an ACL tear. The way he reacted on the field, the fact that they reported it later, they fear that is what the injury is going to wind up being. He's going to get an MRI Monday morning. We will tweet out the details as soon as we get them at Show. So make sure you follow us along there. And unfortunately, it was really early in the game when this happened. It was, I believe it was the first quarter. He only had four carries of 28 yards before he left. There's a good chance if you had Saquon Barkley that you might have lost because of this. What is that going to mean moving forward? Well, in this game, Deion Lewis was the handcuff, was the number two. He had 10 carries for 20 yards, but he did get a goal line carry, and he was able to convert for the touchdown. Deion Lewis isn't going to be a guy that's going to come in and get 20 carries, 18 carries. I think we all recognize that. Wayne Gallman's going to be involved moving forward. And I think there's going to be a question, especially if it does be confirmed as an ACL injury, do the Giants wind up bringing in a veteran? I don't know the answer to that. They might feel good enough trying to rotate between Wayne Gallman and Deion Lewis, but the problem with Wayne Gallman and Deion Lewis is that in their own right, they are not backs with the most durable of histories to begin with. Devontae Freeman is somebody who's going to be on our waiver wire segment, even if he has not signed with the team by the time that episode comes out on Tuesday. I'm going to tell you that right now because of all the injuries that that came out this week, Devonta Freeman is somebody who is going to be picked up this week. He tried out for the Eagles on Friday. He came out of there. He didn't wind up having a contract. Somebody's going to sign him because there was too many injuries for him to not get signed by someone this week. The Giants are going to be somebody I have my eye on as a possibility. Now, like I said, as it stands right now, our expectation would be that there would be some kind of rotation between Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman. Probably giving a little bit of an edge to Deion Lewis. But this is an offensive line that is still melding. It's still developing. I don't know how much running room there's going to be for either one of these guys. So I'm going to want the running back who's most likely to get the passing down work, especially if you're talking about from a half-point, full-point PPR standpoint. That should be Deion Lewis. That is his bread and butter. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on. We're going to have more details for you throughout the week when it comes to that backfield before you have to go to your waiver wires late Tuesday night. As far as the pass-catching game, Sterling Shepard also got injured in this game with a toe injury. He got knocked out. 
the tone on him is, you know, it's not as significant. Uh, it kind of sounded like they were thinking that he may even be back by next week, possibly. We'll see what happens there. But he went out in this game. He had two catches for 29 yards for four targets before that happened. This Giants team, just they're never going to have their... I just feel like they're never going to have their weapons all in the field at the same time. I mean, this was actually the first game since Daniel Jones has taken over where he, going into the game, he had Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley actually healthy. This was the first time that they were all healthy and on the field together since Daniel Jones taking over a quarterback. That lasted for not even a full quarter. For Saquon goes down, and then Sterling Shepard goes down. Golden Tate coming off of his hamstring injury, five catches, 47 yards, five targets. He could be a high-end wide receiver for if Sterling Shepard is going to miss time, but if not, to me, Golden State's a low-end wide receiver for wide receiver five. Darius Slayton is the only Giants wide receiver that I'm going to be willing to play on a week-to-week basis as of right now. Now, things could change for this team completely because now without Saquon Barkley, they may have to turn into a pass-first team. So there may be a lot more volume for all of these pass catchers moving forward. And that's something else we're going to have to analyze as well. And we'll project it and we'll let you know what we come up with. Evan Ingram was the big target on the day. He had eight, six catches, 65 yards. Evan Ingram's going to find the end zone. Better days ahead. He's still a guy who should be in the top 12 at tight ends. I don't think there's any question there. And he had a much better day than he did against the Steelers from the past week. I know in this game, Slayton didn't have a big stat line. Three catches, 33 yards on six targets. But he's still their best wide receiver. Just watching it on the field, Golden Tate was back, so we got to see him again coming off the hamstring issue. Darius Slayton is just their best wide receiver. We know he has this big play capability. So that's the guy who I'm going to be leaning towards playing. Shepard, Golden Tate, if this offense has to morph into a pass-first offense, we'll talk about them more from a full-point PPR standpoint due to possible volume that they could be seeing as wide receiver threes, wide receiver fours. On the Bears' side of the ball, David Montgomery, he actually got knocked out for a little bit in this game. He's questionable return. He did come back, though. He had a great game. He looked great again for the second week in a row. 16 carries, 82 yards, 5 yards carry. Now, this Giants team is a team that you're going to be able to run on the second half because that's two weeks in a row now where their defense has kind of gotten gas in the second half because they're just on the field all the time. And without Saquon, that's going to happen more and more. But Montgomery looked good for the second week in a row. Three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. He finally got involved in the passing game. Something I didn't think they'd ever do. Which always drove me crazy because like, the guy has natural hands. You can see it coming out of the backfield. But as long as they had Tariq Cohen, I wasn't sure that was ever going to happen. BTW, real quick, even though it's not really fantasy relevant necessarily, but why the hell did the Chicago Bears give Tariq Cohen a contract extension? You don't use him. They've never used him. He's never, they always talk about using him and then he gets like six touches for the game. That's exactly what he had in this one. And only had one target. Montgomery was targeted more. They don't use him. Why did Tariq Cohen get a contract extension? Like I said, not really fantasy relevant, but just kind of another move by the Chicago Bears front office that just kind of leaves you scratching your head it doesn't make any sense good for Tariq Cohen I I don't understand it I don't understand they don't use him David Montgomery is an RB2 moving forward and 
he has some promise to really have a good season with, with the way he's been looking physically running the football this year. He just looks more explosive. Allen Robinson, another disappointing day, but nine targets. Three catches, 33 yards. There's a couple wide receivers like an Allen Robinson, like an A.J. Green. Guys who just had a first couple game rough start to the season, but the targets are there. The volume is there. So the games are going to come as long as that continues to be the case, and I don't see why that wouldn't be. Anthony Miller goose-egged you in this one. This is why I said don't pick up Anthony Miller. He wasn't even on the field that much last week when he had a decent game. There's only one wide receiver to have here. It's Allen Robinson. And David, Mon- and David Montgomery is the only other Bears. I mean, there's only two Bears players total that I would even want to have my fantasy team moving forward. Mitchell Trubisky, whatever. 190 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Mediocre this entire game. But they won again, so he gets to keep his job again. Moving on to the Lions and the Packers. We'll start off on the Lions side of the ball. Stafford didn't look real sharp. 244 yards, two touchdowns, had a really bad pick. But this offense is... Man, they miss Kenny Galladay. Now, the word on the street is that Kenny Galladay is going to be back next week. That's the good news. And I think when Kenny Galladay comes back, it's going to help all the other pieces fall into place. What's clear to me is that Marvin Jones, he needs to be a second wide receiver. He's not a guy who can get open consistently when having to face the other team's top corner. Plain and simple. He's just not. He winds up getting the touchdown in this game. Six targets, four catches for 23 yards. Against a Green Bay secondary that gave up two bombs to Adam Thielen a week ago. They need Kenny Galladay back. He helps all the pieces kind of fall into place. Danny Amendola fits more naturally as the third targeted wide receiver on this team. Marvin Jones fits more naturally as a touchdown target to go to against second corners on teams. The idea is that he might be back next week. In case you were wondering, Quintez Cephas, three catches, 54 yards on three targets. And then after this, I don't know how much he's going to be involved, just in case you were wondering on that one. As far as the running game goes, there's still not a Detroit Lions running back that I really want to play. The best one was still Adrian Peterson as far as the ground game goes. Seven carries, 41 yards. Carryon Johnson, who we hit the flush button on last week, does wind up scoring this week, a little bit more efficient actually had one extra carry than Adrian Peterson, but 32 yards. Still not as explosive as Adrian Peterson in this game. Now, he didn't just disappear, which I thought he might. But you're never going to feel safe playing on Johnson. Ever. Ever, ever. DeAndre Swift is really the only Lions running back who I think at some point this season we may be starting. Just because we know he's going to be involved in the passing game. And he was this week. Five catches for 60 yards. The team gave him you know, a vote of confidence, that, which was really nice to see. They lifted the rookie up after he dropped the what would have been the game-winning touchdown in week one. And they got him back to catching the football again. So if he continues to hold on to and establish himself as the pass-catching back, then we're talking half-point, full-point PPR leagues. We're going to get into the bye weeks. He's somebody who might be playable in those situations as a plug-and-play. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. But as far as actually feeling confident starting him as an RB2 or anything like that, there's either going to have to be an injury or he's just going to have to take over this backfield at some point with both Adrian Peterson and Carrion Johnson not disappearing after his completely crappy week one offset, playset. I don't know when that would be for him to just completely take over unless there was injuries. So I'm holding on to DeAndre Swift. But I'm not playing Lions running back in my lineup anytime soon. On the Packers side of the ball, it was a little disappointing because you saw Detroit's defense. You saw what the Packers did offensively. They put up 42 points, though. When I say disappointing, it was a little bit disappointing in Aaron Rodgers. It was a little bit disappointing that he only went for 240 yards and two touchdowns. Still a solid day. Still going to wind up probably being in the top 12 of quarterbacks. So if you played him, he didn't lose you a week or anything like that. He just didn't have the big game that you were hoping for. Now, what wasn't disappointing was Aaron Jones. Doing Aaron Jones things. Was this not the most Aaron Jones type of thing for him to do? Go from one week where he was like, yeah, he was okay. Low in RB2 production. And then going to this week where, like, oh, yeah, I got three touchdowns in one game and over 200 yards from scrimmage. Most Aaron Jones thing to do where he's just, I'm single-handedly going to win you a week on on my back. 18 carries, 168 rushing yards, busted a 75-yarder in this game, two rushing touchdowns, had a receiving touchdown on eight targets. He led the team in targets. Made an amazing catch, too, by the way, on one one of the plays for a first down. Looked like a wide receiver out there. Four catches, 68 yards. Devontae Adams wound up getting knocked out of this game with a hamstring issue. Now, the tone on him didn't seem like people were overly concerned from the Green Bay office as far as his availability moving forward. In fact, the way it was kind of getting put was that if they were losing in this game, that they might have actually tried him back on the field, but because they were in such control when he went down with the injury that they decided there was no reason to bring him back in. It killed you from a fantasy perspective because you were going from expecting Devontae Adams to be possibly the number one wide receiver on the week overall to only got three catches on 36 yards on three targets. So it was disappointing in that sense, but... The silver lining would be that it sounds like the hamstring injury may not keep him out for very long, if at all. And that's something else that we will keep you up to date on at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter. Another reason to follow us. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, seven targets for Marquez uh, for Scantling, three catches, 64 yards, five targets for Alan Lazard, three catches, 45 yards. So Scantling leads the way in targets here if... Adams does miss any time. 
they would both become low-end wide receiver three options. If Adams does not miss time, I'm still left with, I don't know how much I want to play these guys, and they're more wide receiver four options to me, and I know that one of them will probably have a good game any given week, but which one it's going to be I think is going to be a very hit or miss. So are they roster-worthy? Yeah, absolutely. But you're doing so knowing that hopefully you only have to play them as a plug-and-play during bye weeks or injury, desperation injuries, and only play them in plus matchups. But it's all the more reason we got to keep our eyes on Devontae Adams and that injury and what that might mean uh, moving forward. Los Angeles Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Rams dominated this game. Coming over to the East Coast... They were in control from the get-go. We're going to start on the Eagles' side of the ball because Carson Wentz is no longer a must-start. He's going to still be startable. He's still somebody who's going to hover around that top 12 area from your fantasy matchups every single week because the volume's still going to be there. He threw the ball 43 times in this game, but he's just not playing well. I don't know if the return of Alshon Jeffrey is going to make that significant of a difference either. I feel like the offense just needs to change. Lane Johnson was back in this game. He had a little bit more time to throw. He wasn't a duress, but he had a little bit more time to throw. And I think part of it is not having Alshon Jeffrey. He does love to go to him in tough situations. But guys that he would normally go to, like his tight end, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, they did get a good amount of targets in this game, but... Just never got on the same page, and he played sloppily for the second week in a row. So Carson Wentz is somebody who is going to be entering more towards that streaming territory, entering more towards that matchup-based play. I'm not dropping him. I'm not going to let him hit the waiver wire because he still has that potential to get back to being a solid top 10 quarterback especially when Alshon comes back, which may be in week three or week four, because that was the idea. That's why he didn't go on the pup list. But he is somebody who I'm not going to automatically start on a week-to-week basis for now. Miles Sanders had a good game in his return from his hamstring issues. 20 carries, 95 yards, a touchdown. That was the really good part to see was the 20 carries. 95 yards and a touchdown was great. He gave you a good fantasy day. But the fact that he came back... And they gave him 23 total touches because he had three catches for 36 yards. Showed you that he's definitely 100% healthy and they had no concerns about it heading into this matchup. They were able to give him the ball that much coming off the hamstring issue. So he is definitely healthy moving forward. That's the good news on Miles Sanders. And that he gave you a good game. Had seven targets in this game, by the way. So three catches, 36 yards, could have been a lot better on the in the air for him. And he's somebody who I think Carson Wentz is going to have to use more and more on checkdowns. I should mention Wentz did have a rushing touchdown in this game, which is what maybe saves some of your fantasy value for him. But still, the analysis still remains. Deshaun Jackson was the high target guy for the Eagles. He had nine, six catches, 64 yards. Still not the greatest of games, but a nice bounce back after seeing him only played 50% of the snaps against Washington and really not produced the way that we all expected him to. He played, he definitely, they stay true to this word. He played much more in this game. And this was a tougher matchup. I didn't expect a great game out of Deshaun Jackson when I knew he was going to be seeing Jalen Ramsey in the perimeter corners of the Rams more so in this game than not. So that part was good to see. Deshaun Jackson is somebody who can still be plugged in as a home run threat at any given moment in your lineups. And that will continue to be the case as long as he's healthy. 
Jalen Rager, just a quick note on him, four targets, four catches, 41 yards. He's just he's still not at the point yet where I'm going to be playing him. And when Alshon Jeffrey comes back, it's going to be even longer before we really get a feel. I really don't think his fantasy value is going to come until Deshaun gets hurt. So he's not somebody who's a must-own for me by any stretch of the means. Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, I mentioned them a little bit. Ertz had seven targets. Goddard had eight. Five catches, 42 yards for Ertz. Four catches for 30 yards for Dallas Goddard. Better days are ahead for both of these guys. We know they're going to be heavily involved. We know that they are red zone targets. Here's the one thing I will say. Dallas Goddard's value, I do question whether or not he might wind up being sort of the odd man out in a sense when Alshon Jeffrey comes back as far as the red zone target, as far as the guy that he uses as bigger play threats. I'm going to be curious to see what the offense of the Eagles looks like when Jeffrey's back in that lineup and what that might mean for Goddard. Because Ertz is still the starting tight end of this team. So something to kind of keep your eye on. But I'm not moving on from Ertz. I'm not panicking. So we should be okay there. We move on to the Rams. Jared Goff, very efficient in this day. 20 for 27, 267 yards, three passing touchdowns. Tyler Higby, by the way, the recipient of all three of those passing touchdowns. So anybody who is worried about him in week one... I think you can officially be done worrying. When the matchup is there, when the opportunity is there, Tyler Higby will be in line to get his share. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Five targets in the game. I was actually tied for second amongst, or yeah, tied for second amongst the team. Cooper Cup, six targets on the game. On on the game, that was the high target amount for this team. Five catches, eighty-one yards. So he had a much better game than he did against Dallas a week ago. Still didn't find the end zone. But still, five catches, 81 yards, a good day, a good move in the right direction. This was more of a matchup in favor of Cooper Cup because Robert Woods had to see Darius Slay for most of this game. And pass-catching-wise, Robert Woods wasn't much of a factor. Five targets, two catches, 14 yards. He did get a touchdown, though. He ran one in. And I had to look up this stat, and I kind of meant to look it up before the show, but I didn't really get a chance to do it. I feel like... For a stretch here going back to last year, I feel like Robert Woods might have more rushing touchdowns than receiving touchdowns. That's a stat that I have to kind of look up. But yeah, the Jets sweep rushing touchdowns, I feel like he scores more on that than you can ever count on him to actually score as a pass catcher as a wide receiver. It's so weird. But he does save your fantasy day because he was able to run one in. As far as the actual running game itself, Cam Akers goes down with a rib injury. We do not have the details or really any inclination as to whether or not this is something that's going to cost Cam Akers a significant amount of time yet. We don't know. Uh, We might know by the time you're listening to this podcast. Of course, we'll get it out to you as soon as we know. As a result of that, he went down. This was in the first quarter he went down. I mean, I told you guys, MD Nation, do not start Rams running back in this game. I hope I hope you heeded my words because Malcolm Brown was not the lead ball carrier. Now, apparently, we didn't find this out until after the game, but apparently he hurt his finger, and that was a big reason why that he was not given the carries to try to close out this game at the end. It was Daryl Henderson, the guy who looked like the odd man out last week, comes in, 12 carries, 81 yards, a touchdown, looked very good against a vaunted Eagles rush defense. And he played really well. It broke a 40-yarder in this game. He was also involved in the passing game to some degree. Three targets, two catches, 40 yards. Malcolm Brown wasn't targeted at all. So if Cam Akers is going to miss time, then it's going to be a Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown backfield. 
The only running back I still feel safe playing is Malcolm Brown on a matchup-based situation because I know he's still the guy, as long as he's healthy, is going to get the goal line carries. But it has to be the right matchup, and it has to be because I have guys out and I don't have any other better options. It's still a committee. You, you lose one guy of a three-man committee, you still have a two-man committee. It's still, it's still a, an ugly nightmare when it comes to fantasy owners. Before we move on here, I do want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors of the show called PropMe. PropMe is a new innovative gaming platform and really the first of its kind. It makes betting from person to person more easy than ever. Just download the app and join the fun at PropMeLLC.com today. And while we're talking about one of our sponsors, not that this is a sponsor, but I do want to give a quick announcement in case you guys did not see it on social media. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is actually going to be live on the air Possibly starting this Thursday. Uh, that's what it seems like. It's not 100% confirmed. It'll definitely be this Thursday, but it, it, it should be this week. If it's not, then it'll definitely be next week. But we are going to be live on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are very excited for that radio station based out of Long Island. When we go live, we will be live every Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1. We'll be doing the preview episodes. This podcast is still going to be this podcast. We're still going to be available to you on all your favorite podcast apps. We're going to be available to you on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on Sportscaster, on YouTube, Twitch, you know, wherever. Wherever we were available before, we're still going to be available to you guys in all those same places. You're still going to be able to find us on your favorite podcast app. But if you download download the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app, you're going to be able to listen to us live on the radio, no matter where you are, from 12 to 1 on Thursdays and Fridays when we do the preview episodes. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. The next step, really, for this show, and it all has to do with the support from you guys at MD Nation. So I thank you very, very much. But now let's get back into what we were all here to listen to in the first place. The Denver Broncos, the Pittsburgh Steelers. This game wound up being much closer than I expected, and yet another injury that we had to talk about. Drew Locke goes down with a shoulder injury. They already came out with a timeline for him two to six weeks. You want to hear the messed up part? I think Jeff Driscoll looked like the better quarterback. I'm just saying. He looked like the better quarterback. It wasn't great. 1834, 256 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. But against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, that ain't bad. It was better than what Daniel Jones did. Cortland Sutton went down again in this game. And it wasn't his shoulder injury. It was a knee injury, and they said cramp issues. Uh, I have to get some more details onto that. I don't know if they were saying that he was having some pain around his knee, the wound up being cramps. I don't know what the idea was, but he wound up getting knocked out in this game. Didn't return. Still wound up being the lead receiver as far as yards goes in this game because he had a big 45-yarder at one point. Six targets, three catches, 66 yards. That was with Jeff Driscoll. I mean, we know Jeff Driscoll from Detroit from last year. The one thing he has shown is that he's at least good enough to get the ball to the number one wide receiver. So if Cortland Sutton, whenever he's healthy which at this point is really more the battle than anything else. But whenever he's healthy, we can trust that Jeff Driscoll will be able to get Cortland Sutton the ball once he's out there on the lineup. The only question we really have for Cortland Sutton is when exactly are you going to be healthy enough for us to trust to put you in our lineups? That, that's going to be the next question, something we're going to be watching profusely heading into this week. I guess the good news is they didn't suffer a re-aggravation of the shoulder injury or didn't seem like that was really bothering him too much in this game. The bad news is they sustained a different kind of injury, so now who knows? 
Jerry Duty is somebody who he does need to be owned because as long as Cortland Sutton's going to keep missing time, he will be the lead target more times than not. But he actually tied for the most targets with KJ Hamler, who was not supposed to play that much in this game. Wound up playing more because Sutton exited. Judy's still going to be the guy that they will go to the most. He's going to be the chain mover. He's going to be the sure-handed weapon. And this is a Denver team that, frankly, with all the injuries that they have, I think they're going to be trailing more times than they're not. But it's not, a good, it's not going to be a very prolific offense until Cortland Sutton's back and healthy at the, very, at the very minimum. The one guy who I can feel confident, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't say the one guy, the two guys that I can feel confident still plugging into my lineups week in and week out when it comes to the Denver Broncos is Noah Fant and Melvin Gordon. Noah Fant still found a way to score in this game. Four catches, 57 yards on five targets. He's still the big mismatch that they have with no Cortland Sutton out there. And his value, his floor at the very least, is going to be upticked until Sutton is healthy. Melvin Gordon, he was the true bell cow back, which is what we expected him to be with Philip Lindsay out. So might be another week or two before Philip Lindsay is able to come back from his injuries. And until then, Melvin Gordon is looking at a nice work share and a nice floor. He had a nice game considering it was the Pittsburgh Steelers, considering what they did to Saquon in week one. 19 carries, 70 yards. Also tacked on two catches for 14 yards and a receiving touchdown in this ballgame. So Melvin Gordon's one of the few running backs out there right now who's actually a true three-down back until Philip Lindsay comes back. So he has true RB2 status at the, as of this moment. And I'm fine with plugging and playing him in my lineups each and every week. On the Steelers' side of the ball, Ben Roethlisberger, he went over 300 yards in this game, two touchdowns and an interception. Looked like he had a little bit more zip on his throws than he did in week one. Still didn't look super sharp yet. Still doesn't look super accurate all the time yet. But he hit Deontay Johnson, who I loved. Played in my DFS lineup this week. Got great production out of him. Eight catches, 92 yards, a touchdown on 13 targets. So that's the second week in a row that he's been the lead targeted wide receiver for the Steelers. And had a much bigger output this time around. Juju Smith-Schuster, who was second, had eight targets, seven catches, only 48 yards, and didn't find the end zone in this particular game. But you love the volume. We know what Schuster's talent is. And if him and Deontay Johnson can continue to be a 1A, 1B situation, they're both going to be guys that I'm going to love plugging and playing in my lineups any given week. And I think bigger games are ahead for Juju Smith-Schuster. I think more 100-yard games are ahead for Juju Smith-Schuster as Ben Roethlisberger knocks some of the rust off and gets more accurate as we move forward. I think that's going to be the big key for him. Eric Ebron is still not somebody who I care about. And Chase Claypool had the big one. He had 84-yard touchdown on this game. Incredible. He's somebody who I'm going to have my eye on. I'm not going out to pick him up yet. He's on my watch list. You know, you have those leagues where you have the little watch list for your waiver wire. He's on my watch list because he's he is somebody who I think is immensely more talented than James Washington. I do believe it's only a matter of time before he overtakes James Washington as the number three receiver, as their perimeter deep threat guy, while Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster work the intermediate part of the field. I said it before, he reminds me a lot of Mortavius Bryant, what he brought to the table. I think Chase Claypool can bring something similar, and we know Ben Roethlisberger loves those type of guys on his team. So whenever the snap count reflects that Claypool has overtaken James Washington, we will begin to look at him as a home run flyer that you can pick up and roster in your fantasy leagues. 
James Conner, that had to be the big story for the Steelers today. Going into the game, they were talking about there might be a split between James Conner and Benny Snell. That was not the case. Now, I don't know if that was the plan going in, and because James Conner was playing as well as he was, they didn't didn't decide to turn the ball over to Benny Snell to see what else he would do. 16 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown for James Conner in this one on the ground and tacked on two catches for 15 yards. Only two targets, but that was still the lead in targets for the running backs. Tied for the lead anyway. Jalen Samuels had two as well, but only one catch for four yards. It turned right back into James Conner's backfield. So if you're a James Conner owner, you have to like that. Number one, he looked healthy. Number two, he looked explosive. He had a 59-yard run in this game. And number three, it it goes to show that quite possibly, as long as he's healthy, this really truly is James Conner's backfield. He is the lead back. Will injuries be a question? Yeah. Hopefully after last week, though, if you're the James Conner owner, you were able to pick up Benny Snell, so now you don't have anything to worry about. You play Conner as long as he's healthy. As a guy getting the majority of the work. And this is not an easy Denver Bronco team to run on. He had a great game. So that's definitely, definitely encouraging moving forward. Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tennessee Titans. This was a higher scoring game than I really expected it to be. And it had a lot more air yards than I expected it to be as well. We'll go to the Jacksonville side of the ball first. Gardner Minshew, for fantasy purposes, was very good in this game. 30 of 45, 339 yards, three touchdowns. He did have the two picks. The one pick came with a chance to go down for a game-winning drive and threw the interception, second pass in. But after two weeks, after two games in a row, throwing three touchdowns apiece, he is somebody who's going to be entering the week-to-week quarterback streaming territory for us. The volumes is going to be there. They're going to be in more game scripts like this where they have to throw the ball more, where they have to come back from behind. And it's two games where they've played very competitively at that. Now, as far as receivers go, I know that if you're a DJ Chark owner, he didn't kill you this game, but you don't love what you're seeing. He only had four targets. The second week in a row, he wasn't the lead targeted guy. Did turn those four targets into four catches for 84 yards. So it was a decent day. He just didn't find the end zone in this particular matchup. But better days are ahead for DJ Chark. And as long as you keep having this kind of volume, he still hands down the best wide receiver that they have. Better days are ahead for DJ Chark. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about what his ceiling is. Keelan Cole, I know he scored for the second week in a row. I still do not want to own another Jaguars wide receiver outside of DJ Chark. These are all guys that are have been proven time and time again to be flashes in the pan. So I am not, I'm not going to get swept up in Keelan Cole or Chris Conley with the seven targets that they had. I'm not even going to get swept up in the 84 yards from scrimmage LaVisca Chanel had because he got run in on you know the running game, five carries, 37 yards. I'm not going to worry about that either. The running back to own is James Robinson, 16 carries, 102 yards, and a touchdown. He, he, he looked pretty good in this game. He showed pretty good vision. He showed the ability to break tackles. He showed pretty good balance. He's a guy they're going to continue to give the ball this much to. He's going to be productive more times than not. Plain and simple. He's going to get the goal line work. And while, yes, Chris Thompson got involved in this game, he does get a receiving touchdown. 
he's not so involved that it's eating in the James Robinson works. It's James Robinson's backfield. So he is somebody who's going to be an RB3 on a week-to-week basis with RB2 potential depending on the matchup. So that's the good news if you picked him up last week, which hopefully you did because he was on the waiver wire report. On the Titans side of the ball, no A.J. Brown. So it came down to Corey Davis and my favorite, Janu Smith. I loved seeing this out of Janu Smith. Five targets, four catches, 84 yards, two touchdowns for him on the day. He's been one of my favorite sleeper tight ends all offseason. I had him in my top five heading into this week. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. Janu Smith finally getting the recognition that I've always believed that he deserved. Corey Davis does score a touchdown in this game. Only three catches for 36 yards, though, on five targets with no A.J. Brown. Adam Humphreys scored five catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. I don't want Adam Humphreys. And I still don't want Corey Davis. We might have one more week before A.J. Brown comes back because he was considered on a week-to-week basis. The injury kind of cook him out later on in the week than that. But as long as he's out, the number one target that I want is Janu Smith. Two weeks in a row now, he's scored touchdowns. He's going to be the guy that I know has the touchdown capability. He's going to be the guy I know has a certain floor to his game. Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys are going to be very matchup-based. Against Jacksonville, am I surprised they had decent games? No. But when they play some of these tougher teams, when they play some teams that have a better defense, I am going to question it. How much you really want to play these guys unless you're completely desperate. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Ryan Tannehill, even though he didn't have a lot of volume, he had a good game. 18-24, to only 239 yards, but four passing touchdowns. Kind of looking like the Ryan Tannehill from last year. Kind of looking like the guy who's just, he's going to be a streaming quarterback on a week-to-week basis, on, on, on a matchup basis. Everything you pretty much wanted him to be. That sleeper quarterback who can give you top 10 performances, like what should wind up being the case this week. And we really haven't seen him rush. He didn't rush that much in week one. He only had 12 yards on the ground this week as well. So we haven't really even seen him use his legs, which is what usually gives him that floor to begin with so far. I think the big disappointment on the day was Derrick Henry. Got the 25 carries that you wanted. 84 yards. 3.4 yards a carry. That's shocking. The Jaguars, a team that he traditionally torches, the Jaguars, a team that has a much less talented defense than it has had the past couple of years when he has torched them. Only 84 yards, no touchdowns. Two targets, didn't catch anything. Derrick Henry was the disappointing guy of the day because he was somebody a lot of people were picking to be in their top three, their top five this week, and that's not going to happen. Definitely shocking. Obviously, better days are ahead. 
you you can't find guys who had 31 carries in week one and come back and get 25 carries in week two. It does, doesn't happen in the NFL unless you're Derrick Henry. So nothing to really worry about. Just kind of disappointing that you didn't get the big game this particular week. Next up, we got the Falcons. We got the Cowboys. Going to wind up being the game of the week. Going to want 40 to 39 in one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen. The Cowboys outscored the Atlanta Falcons 30 to nothing in the second half. 30 to zero in the second half. I talked about this last week. Over under, how much longer does Dan Quinn get to keep his job? You're supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. In two weeks back-to-back, your defense has looked like crap. And once again, you look like the same Atlanta Falcons team that underachieves like it has for the past few years. I don't know how much longer this guy keeps his job. The good news is the offense is doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing what they need you to do for fantasy purposes. Matt Ryan throws for four touchdowns for the second week in a row. So you're fine there. Calvin Ridley, another great game. Seven catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns on 10 targets. He has four touchdowns in two games. Russell Gage was still involved in this one. Nine targets, six catches, 46 yards, a touchdown. Hayden Hurst, both Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst were able to eat in this matchup. Hayden Hurst, eight targets, five catches, 72 yards, and he scores a touchdown as well, and he had a 42-yarder in this game. The big disappointment was Julio Jones. Two catches for 24 yards on just four targets. Did he look 100% right to me? No. I know he had he cropped up on in the injury report with the hamstring issue. Was taken off. You know, we knew he was going to get to go. He was definitely more than just a decoy. This wasn't like, oh, Julio Jones. If you just watched the box score, you didn't get to see this game. It wasn't a situation where he wound up being just a decoy out there. That, that wasn't the case. He was targeted. And frankly, they had a nice trick play. Russell Gage, I didn't know he could throw the ball that well, but he threw a beautiful ball. And Julio Jones should have came down with it. It would have been a 50-yard touchdown strike. So Julio was really, uh, it hit him both his hands. So he was one drop away from having a much different stat line in this game. So, you know, obviously better days are ahead for Julio, but I'm not worried about him from the medical standpoint either. From... As far as we know, as of right now, of recording this Sunday night, he didn't suffer a re-aggravation of the injury during the game. And like I said, while he didn't look 100% himself, he was definitely not just relegated to a decoy role out there either. The Dallas, they tilted their defense to Julio. That's why Calvin really has such a big day. I actually got to see quite a bit of this game. Dallas was consistently double-covering or cloud-covering Julio Jones throughout this matchup. So much so that they left Calvin Ridley wide the hell open on multiple occasions. That's why he winds up with the big two touchdowns, seven catch, 109-yard performance. Which I don't understand. Julio is a weapon that, yes, defenses have to find a way to take away. But I don't understand how you can actually look at your defense in the face and tell them, we're going to double and cloud cover Julio and act like any one of the number of Falcon weapons that they have aren't going to just torch the hell out of you if you do that. I mean, is sticking one-on-one or playing zone coverage equally amongst Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones going to be any worse than full tilting towards Julio and just letting Calvin Ridley burn you on a consistent basis? I don't think so. 
I'm not worried about Julio moving forward, though, not from a medical standpoint either. The guy we do have to talk about is Todd Gurley. Now, the positive side for Todd Gurley is that he had 21 carries in this game, and this is not a Dallas defense that's going to be easy to run on at any point this season. They have a good front seven. They're not going to be an easy team to run on. So he had 21 carries, 61 yards, only 2.9 yards of carry. It's not the efficiency you want to see. But again, I go back to what I talked about with Derrick Henry. Todd Gurley had a lot of volume last week, too, as far as the rushing game goes. You can't find running backs getting 20 carries a game right now. So two games in a row, Todd Gurley's pretty much hit that mark. So that's the good news. The bad news is that this kind of confirms what I've been talking about, what my concerns were from Todd Gurley from last week. If he's not going to be involved in the passing game, then he becomes a touchdown-dependent RB2. He didn't score a touchdown in this game. He only got you six points. He wasn't involved in the passing game again. Now, he's run routes. He was out there while they were throwing the football. It wasn't like Brian Hill got two targets. Keith Smith got two targets. But it wasn't like they had a different running back not named Todd Gurley relegated as the passing down specialist. The fact is with the Falcons, they have so many down-the-field weapons this year, especially with Russell Gage emerging and you know they bring in Hayden Hurst to replace Austin Hooper. Matt, I have yet to see Matt Ryan find himself in a situation where he's felt the need to check down the ball to the running backs coming out of the backfield through the first two weeks. But it is concerning because that is an aspect of Todd Gurley's game. That's what made him so good for those first couple of years. It wasn't just what his rushing capabilities were. It was his involvement in the passing game. If that's going to continue to not happen, like I said last week, he becomes a touchdown-dependent RB2. And if it happens again next week, and the week after that, if we go through four weeks and Todd Gurley's looking at six targets total through those first four weeks, the second he scores two touchdowns in a game, you're going to have to turn around and sell him high. Because he's just somebody who's going to have too low of a floor for you, especially as you head closer and closer towards your playoff races. So that's something we'll be keeping an eye on moving forward when it does come to the Atlanta Falcons. On the Dallas Cowboys side of the ball, Dak Prescott, 34-47, 450 yards. Only one passing touchdown, though. Why? Because he fell into the end zone three times. He gets three rushing touchdowns on the day, all three of them on quarterback sneaks. A huge fantasy day. Like I said, I'm going to have to go back and check. It's, it's either him or Josh Allen want to put to the QB one of the week. We'll see if there's any stat corrections. But yeah, fell in for three touchdowns. Three Now, obviously, it was a game that they had to throw the ball a ton coming back. And even in a game where they had to throw the ball a ton coming back, Ezekiel Elliott still saw 22 carries. That's the beauty about Ezekiel Elliott. 89 yards of touchdown. Frankly, Ezekiel Elliott should have had a a big game with the amount of times during the goal line if he wasn't getting vultured constantly by Dak Prescott in this matchup. Tacked on six catches for 33 yards on seven targets. Amari Cooper had six catches for 100 yards in this matchup. C.D. Lamb, six catches for 106 yards in this matchup. Both had nine targets. C.D. Lamb, welcome to the 100-yard club as a rookie. Michael Gallup was a disappointment on the day. All those points, all those throws, two catches, 58 yards, five targets. Better days are ahead for Michael Gallup. We're not moving on for him. 
Does he become solidified more as a wide receiver three than a guy who has wide receiver two upside? Maybe after this game a little bit. Because you just recognize that even when they have high volume, they just have so many weapons. Because the big thing was Dalton Schultz, nine catches, 88 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. He led the team in targets. Led the team in targets. Dalton Schultz. Now, I said that after last week, when Blake Jarwin went down with injury, I wasn't going to pick up Schultz. I wasn't I wasn't rushing out there. He was. I said he entered the low-end streaming tight end territory, but we needed to see it first. And we did. But now we saw it. The tight end is just going to be a factor in this offense. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it matters who it is. Dalton Schultz is somebody who's going to be... Now, we're not going to get crazy. He's not going to suddenly catapult into my top 12 tight end rankings for the rest of season after this one performance. But is he somebody who's going to be on our radar as a tight end streamer week in and week out on a matchup basis? Absolutely. You have CeeDee Lamb, you have Amari Cooper, you have Michael Gallup, you have Ezekiel Elliott, and Dalton Schultz was the guy who wound up being the lead target on the day. Now, that's not going to happen very often. It may not happen again the rest of the season. But it solidifies his role within the offense. It will be utilized. And he's the only one who came away with the passing touchdown. What a crazy game that was. Crazy game. Next up, Minnesota Vikings and the Colts. This was a boring game on the flip side of that. We'll start off with the Vikings side of the ball because there's going to be a lot of concerns here. Kirk Cousins played one of the worst games I think I've ever seen him play. He looked absolutely horrible in this matchup. 11 for 26, 113 yards, three interceptions, and no touchdowns. He was horrendous. Horrendous. Once again, for the second week in a row, the opponent of the Vikings dominated time of possession. Which is why, once again, they didn't get very many plays in. If that's going to continue to be the place, whoo. Adam Thielen's on my bus list. I know he had a big week in week one, but performances like this is kind of what I was worried about. He had eight targets. That's the good news. The volume is always going to be there for Adam Thielen. I don't think that's going to ever be a question. But three catches, 31 yards, and the real issue just being Kirk Cousins and the offense in general. Just not able to really have a successful passing attack. Somebody else besides Adam Thielen has to get involved. Somebody else has to take attention away from Adam Thielen moving down the road. Somebody else has to become a weapon for Kirk Cousins so he can be a little bit more efficient. That someone needs to be Justin Jefferson, and he had three catches for 40 yards. Technically, he winds up being the lead receiver on the day, but still only on three targets. Tied for second on the team with B.C. Johnson with three targets. Three targets? A game in which you're trailing the entire time and your second leading receiver had three targets, that's a problem. He's going to have to get more involved in this offense. Am I dropping Justin Jefferson? Probably. I'm not quite hitting the flush button on him yet for two reasons. One, he kind of hovers around that 50% owned mark as it is anyway. So he's probably not on a lot of your teams. But two, because of what I just laid out, they have to get somebody else involved. They have to establish another weapon to this offense. So because of that, I could see them making an adjustment, which is why I think he still might have some value later on the season. But if he is somebody on your roster, and you need to make some roster moves, and again, because of the injuries this week, a lot of teams are going to be in that position where they have to do that. I'm definitely not shying away from dropping him if you find yourself in that situation. 
Now, better days are ahead for Adam Thielen. Don't get me twisted on on his part either. But this just goes to say, I don't think he has the highest of floors from week to week. And I don't know if it matters the matchup. I think it just matters on what cousins do you get that day. Dalvin Cook, once again, comes through for you because once again, he's able to find the end zone and he wound up with the two-point conversion, so you got two points for that. But only 14 carries, 63 yards. Two catches for eight yards. If nothing else, you would think they would involve Dalvin Cook in the passing game a little bit more. Nothing else is just an easy check down, no? I've been thoroughly unimpressed with Gary Kubiak so far. Thoroughly unimpressed. And man, is that defensive issues. Phillip Rivers is not fantasy relevant. 19-25, 214 yards, touchdown, interception. He wasn't the story of the day anyway. The story of the day was... Jonathan Taylor, 26 carries, 101 yards, got a rushing touchdown. He delivers on his first game without Marlon Mack as a starter, as the bell cow. He shows you that he is a guy who's going to be a high-end RB2 with RB1 potential. And after some of the injuries this week, he might be considered an RB1 on a more week-to-week basis moving forward. Michael Pittman, six targets, four catches, 37 yards. I didn't think he was supposed to play in this game. That was kind of a surprise to me that he was even active. The other injury we have to talk about, Paris Campbell. Now, the word is that he avoided tearing his ACL. Now, he still has to have the MRI done on Monday to confirm or clarify exactly what the injury is and clarify what his timeline is. But it sounds like he might have avoided the ACL, so it may not be a season-long thing that we're looking at. Now, do you drop Paris Campbell for now? Yeah, because I do think he's somebody, he's in a situation he's probably going to miss at least a few weeks. And he's not somebody that I need to, you know, save a roster spot for necessarily. But it is disappointing because I was ready to say that, I said it last week, I felt like because he was the go-to slot wide receiver, that he was somebody in position to maybe become Phil Rivers' Keenan Allen this year. And I thought he had a great matchup before him. I was actually playing him in a few of my leagues this week. One carry seven yards, and he goes down with the injury. And it looked really bad. So it's good news to hear that it might not be the ACL, that it might not be a season-long thing. But it's still bad news because this is somebody who I think was on the cusp of really establishing some fantasy value for you. The other story outside of Jonathan Taylor was that Naeem Hines only had one catch for four yards in this game. What a disappointment. And you know, you know there's people out there who played him in this matchup after the performance he had in week one expecting him to still be the pass catching down back. Jonathan Taylor had two targets to his one. Now, I do think things will revert back to Naeem Hines being involved. This was a game in which the Colts just kind of dominated all the way through. There was It was never really in jeopardy. There was never really any reason to put you know your foot, the pedal to the metal in any kind of way. They gave Jonathan Taylor 26 carries in this game. It kind of tells you all you need to know. And Jordan Wilkins had nine carries in this game. So it just lets you know from the get-go, the Colts were just able to kind of run the ball control the clock, and and win that way. That's not always going to be the case. So things to look for moving forward with this team. Jonathan Taylor, love him. I'll comment on T.Y. Hilton. Five targets, three catches, 28 yards, even when um, even when Paris Campbell went down. I couldn't think of his name for a second. The big receiver on the day was Mo Alley-Cox. There was no Jack Doyle this week. Five catches, 111 yards on six targets. This is somebody I think everybody in the fantasy industry would love to see get more playing time. 
This is the first time we actually got to see him start and really play through the game as the main tight end. I mean, the guy's just a physical freak. And if he's allowed to be on the field at a significant rate, this could be the sleeper tight end of the year. Could be the waiver tight end of the year. Because just what his God-given abilities are. And it is Philip Rivers who likes to target a tight end. We're going to have to see if this continues, though. I'm not rushing out to pick up Moelle Cox. We still have to see if this continues. This is a guy who just has burned us in the past by not playing as much as we expected him to. But this was a great step in the right direction for him. So we'll keep our eyes on this. But T.Y. Hilton continues to disappoint. Now, as long as Paris Campbell is out, I think that opens up the door for T.Y. Hilton to maybe play a little bit more in the slot here and there, which I think will open up the door for him getting more targets. So he could have better days ahead, but he is somebody who I have been worried about and stay worried about as far as fantasy purposes go, and frankly, is a matchup-based play for me as a wide receiver three. Forty ers and the Jets. If there had been no other injuries this week, the 49ers alone would have made this week headline about injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo goes down with a high ankle sprain. We don't know if he's going to miss time or not. He got knocked out of this game. He didn't come back. Raheem Mostert, who started off the game with a bang because he had an 80-yard touchdown run first play of the game, he goes down with a knee issue. Now, the word on him as of right now is that it's an MCL sprain and that he should be okay in a few weeks. So He's going to miss some time, but it wasn't an ACL. It's not a season-long thing. He will be back at some point this season. But this is something we worry about Raheem Mostert because we know he wasn't the most durable guy in the world. Now, when Raheem Mostert went down, Tevin Coleman was the ball carrier. He had 14 carries. He had 14 carries for 12 yards, so you don't love that, obviously, but he was the ball carrier. Now, Jarek McKinnon, he had three carries for 77 yards and a touchdown because he had a 55-yard run in this one on a third and... I believe it was a third and 31, and he ran 55 yards, picked up the first down. It was absolutely incredible. And he scored a rushing touchdown. The second week in a row, Jared McKinnon's found the end zone, by the way. Now, he wasn't more involved in the passing game than Tevin Coleman, though. He had one target to Tevin Coleman's two. So from a volume standpoint, our expectation is that until Raheem Mostert comes back, it's Tevin Coleman who's going to get the bulk of the work. But Jared McKinnon might be somebody who becomes a flex consideration Considering what he's done the last two weeks, considering that he is going to be a part of the game plan, and also considering Tevin Coleman's not the most durable guy in the world in his own right. Now, we got to see what's going on with Jimmy Garoppolo. We got to see when George Kittle's going to be back. We still don't know when Debo Samuel's going to be back. The rushing game of the 49ers is going to be their main offensive weapon. So, whoever's going to be the lead ball carrier is going to have value. So, Tevin Coleman's going to have value. Tevin Coleman's going to be on the waiver wire report. But so is Jared McKinnon. Jordan Reed, seven catches on eight targets, 50 yards, two touchdowns in this game. What a signing he turned out to be. Pretty much single-handedly put the Jets away in this game. They needed it, too. He came in, and he really, really supplied them with a weapon at the tight end position with George Kittle out. I mean, he really did. He looked pretty good, too. Didn't look as explosive as he was in his Washington days. But seven catches, 50 yards, two touchdowns, eight targets, and a guy who's in his second game in two years. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. We'll see. Like I said, we'll see when George Kittle comes back. 
But in, until he comes back, Jordan Reed very well could be the lead target and the lead red zone threat of this offense, and somebody will continue to be a sleeper streamer, quite possibly. I played in my DC lineup. I was uh, my D, my DFS lineup. I was so happy about that. But he's somebody we're gonna have to have our eyes on, just because out of default somebody has to get the ball. Kendrick Bourne had five targets. Brandon Ayuk, the rookie, he makes his debut. He had three targets for two catches, 21 yards in this game, and that's against the Jets. Now it's his first game back in his first game ever as a rookie. You know, better days are ahead. If I had to bet my money on it, he'd probably be the one pass catcher who would probably emerge. I mean, we know we know what Kendrick Bourne is. But until George Kittle comes back, until Debo Samuel comes back, Jordan Reed might be the pass catcher to own in San Francisco, as, as crazy as that might be. So something to kind of keep an eye on if you're looking to stream tight ends, quite possibly. On the Jets side of the ball, I'm not going to go through the Jets stats. I'm not. Rashad Perryman got hurt in this game. He got knocked out. I'm not going to bother going through it because there's nobody worth owning. Until Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell come back, there's absolutely no Jets player who should even be owned on your team. That's the simple truth. The simple analysis when it comes to them. Before we move on here, I do want to talk about another one of our sponsors of the show called Thrive Fantasy. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. Use promo code BELLYUP when you sign up today and you'll receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. So download the Thrive Fantasy app today. A lot of fun. And frankly, after this week, you may not be in contention in your free draft leagues, depending on what players you had on your team. So we move on to the Carolina Panthers. We move on to the Tampa Bay Bucks. This is an interesting game. We'll start on the Panthers' side of the ball. Teddy Bridgewater, 33 or 42. Not bad. 367 yards. Not bad. Didn't have any passing touchdowns, though, and did throw two picks. Teddy Bridgewater wasn't somebody we were starting in this game anyway because we knew, based on the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense played against the Saints in Week 1, that this was a defense that is ready to take that next step up, plain and simple. And they played well again today. A lot of volume. Panthers had to come back from behind. I guess the plus thing is that Teddy Bridgewater sold through for well over 300 yards against a what I believe is going to be proved to be a tough defense by the end of the season. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, both had double-digit targets in this game. DJ Moore owners were definitely happy to get a little bit of a rebound game here. He had 13 targets, 8 catches, 120 yards. That's what, Those are the type of games you need at DJ Moore. You need him to get double-digit targets in order to get those kind of returns because you know he's not a touchdown threat. I think what was interesting, though, is that Robbie Anderson, 10 targets. Robbie Anderson's a wide receiver, 3. He was somebody that was big on as a sleeper coming into the season. I thought he was going to be more involved in this offense that people were giving him credit for. This is not the New York Jets. This is not Sam Darnold. This is not Adam Gase. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. 
It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. This is a very good wide receiver who's more than just a big play threat, but does have that home run capability. And he's being utilized as such. I don't think there's ever going to be a situation, or, or I should say, I don't think there's ever going to be a stretch during the season. There might be a game here or there, but I don't think there's ever going to be a stretch during the season where DJ Moore just heavily out-targets Robbie Anderson. I think they're both going to be heavily targeted. I think it's going to be a heavily high-volume passing offense, whether it be because of games like this or just because of Joe Brady and Matt Rule and that offense in general. is going to be built around the passing game. Robbie Anderson's a wide receiver three. Nine catches, 109 yards in this game after having a big week one. And a, a tougher matchup. The big aspect we have to talk about with this game, and this is another one we don't have a ton of details on yet, as recording on Sunday night, but Christian McCaffrey scored two touchdowns, but on that second touchdown, defender came down on his foot a little bit weird. He wound up being knocked out of the rest of the fourth quarter when that happened. Didn't return. It's being listed as an ankle issue. That's a big one. I mean, that's the heart and soul of a lot of people's fantasy teams right now. I will say this, the good news to me, at least considering what we went through this past week and week two, is that I don't expect it to be a season-ending thing by any stretch of the means. But we're going to find out when he has an MRI, is it a high ankle sprain, is it a low ankle sprain, what kind of timeline are we looking at? So I would, I would, I would just like I said, I would say with the, with the news that came out of Saquon Barkley and a lot of the other injuries today, the fact that it's not season ending, I, I feel like has to be kind of a silver lining in a way. And the fact that he was able to get you two touchdowns before he left this game, so he was able to give you a great fantasy day before he left. So you definitely didn't lose because of Christian McCaffrey. Is the other silver lining as well? Mike Davis clearly is the handcuff there. Clearly is the guy there. Uh, he only had one carry for a yard, but again, like I said, this happened in the fourth quarter when McCaffrey went down. Mike Davis, how we know he's the guy, he had eight catches for 74 yards on eight targets. Mike Davis was involved in the passing game to that level. Mike Davis. So if McCaffrey's going to be out for any length of time, we should know that by Tuesday when the waiver wire report comes out. We're going to know exactly how valuable Mike Davis is going to be. The Christian McCaffrey owner, he's going to be invaluable, but for everybody else, how valuable he's going to be. On the Bucks side of the ball, Brady wasn't very impressive in this game. That's kind of a little disheartening because this was a matchup that he should have been easily able to take advantage of from a fantasy perspective, and he only had 217 yards and a touchdown on a pick. Really wasn't great. Now, he didn't have Chris Godwin, so he didn't have his full plethora of weapons, but against his Carolina defense, that really shouldn't have mattered. Now, he did do what he needed to do to give Mike Evans a big game. Seven catches, 104 yards, touchdown, 10 targets. And when Chris Godwin went out, we bumped Mike Evans up to being a borderline wide receiver one. We knew he was going to have a good matchup. The guy that everybody wanted to hype up, Scotty Miller, he was barely involved in this matchup. The guy who was actually the second most targeted player was LaShawn McCoy. And he wound up with five catches, 26 yards, but he had a bad drop in the end zone. I wonder how much longer that's going to be the case. Because the big storyline, I think, from a fantasy perspective coming out of this game is did Leonard Fournette take over? Now, this is a game, this is probably going to be one of the first games that I'm going to go back on Monday and, and watch in its entirety because there was a muffed exchange between Ronald Jones and Tom Brady and led to a fumble. And 
I wasn't able to see all this game, but seeing how Leonard Fournette's touches played out for the rest of this game, and Ronald Jones seemingly after that happened, didn't seem like he was too involved, or at least wasn't getting too many touches anyway. I have to check to see what his snap count wound up being after that. That might have been enough for him to lose his job. And even if that wasn't the nail in the coffin, Leonard Fournette's performance might have been. 12 carries for 103 yards, two touchdowns. He broke a 46-yarder in this game. And he had five targets. Now, only four catches for 13 yards, but he still had five targets. So he was being trusted out there during passing downs. He was being trusted out there to protect Tom Brady. That's always been the big thing. If Tom Brady's going to trust you as a running back, you're going to be out there on the field. He had a much better game than Ronald Jones. He outtouched Ronald Jones in Week 2. I That's why I said I have to go back and watch this game. I want to see if that was the pinpointed area, the pinpointed play where Ronald Jones gave way to Leonard Fournette. And maybe that... Maybe that's what happened. And maybe, Ronald, and maybe they blamed that on Ronald Jones, that, that muffed exchange. It was Ronald Jones' fault. I got to see that part of it. But maybe that was the nail in the coffin that paved the way for Leonard Fournette to suddenly take over. And because Leonard Fournette produced so well once given those opportunities, there is a chance that moving forward, starting in Week 3, Leonard Fournette might be the lead back of this team. And that's the case, Leonard Fournette becomes instantly, instantly becomes an RB2. Because he's instantly going to be a guy who has the opportunity to score. He stayed at two touchdowns in this game. So you couldn't start him this week, obviously, because we just didn't know what the rotation was going to be yet. And after the Saints game, there wasn't any reason to think that Ronald Jones would give way to Leonard Fournette this week necessarily. But now that's actually happened, and he performed so well, it wouldn't surprise me if Leonard Fournette is now the starting running back. So that's something we're going to keep our eyes on throughout the week. We're going to be looking for that announcement. If it comes out that Leonard Fournette's a starter, and he's starter from here on out, and he belongs in your lineups. So this might be an emergence of Leonard Fournette as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, quite frankly. Next game up, we got the Washington Football Club. We got the Arizona Cardinals. Getting better with the Washington thing, by the way. Start off, Dwayne Haskins, still not fantasy relevant. But he gets the ball to Terry McLaurin. Seven catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. Now, Logan Thomas had nine targets, so he stayed, he stayed pretty close. He only had four catches, 26 yards. He was somebody who came in as a streaming tight end option for us. He didn't get the production, but he did get the volume that we were looking for. He still remains one of the top red zone threats. Terry McLaurin's very good. Man, is he so good. It's really crazy to think that what would happen if Terry McLaurin actually wound up on a team that had a good offense? That would actually be in a position to produce on a more consistent basis. I don't necessarily say a better quarterback. I think Dwayne Haskins is getting better. There's moments where you can show he's, he's getting better. I do think Washington needs to go to a more up-tempo offense because it's just very clear to me that Dwayne Haskins plays much better when he's in an up-tempo pace than when he tried to go from huddle and try to play this slow, methodical type of offense that Ron Rivera was trying to play early on in this game, early on in week one as well. When they have to go up-tempo, he just plays much better. He plays much faster. But this, was, this wasn't an easy matchup, Terry McLaurin. Patrick Peterson, Byron Murphy, they have, they have two good perimeter corners no matter where he was lining up on the field. And he still had a great game. And the volume's just always going to be there because Washington's going to have to come back from behind more times than not. So we love Terry McLaurin, of course. The big story, though, was Antonio Gibson did lead the team in carries. After Peyton Barber had 17 carries for nothing but two touchdowns, he only had one carry in this game. 
Antonio Gibson, 13 carries, 55 yards, and he gets a rushing touchdown. Now, it wasn't a goal line carry, but it was in the red zone. J.D. McKissick, for some reason, was actually involved. He had eight carries, 53 yards. He was actually effective on the ground, too. It was the craziest thing. But this might have officially become, like Leonard Fournette took over, as of week two, this might have become Antonio Gibson's backfield, where maybe the two touchdowns by Peyton Barber just wasn't enough for them to be like, you know what, you still only had 29 yards and 17 carries, though. We can't just keep running you out there. Now, if they get inside of the five, I still think that Peyton Barber is going to have a role in that area, unfortunately. But I think Antonio Gibson might have taken over as the lead carrier. We still didn't see him involved in the passing game. He only had two targets and one catch for negative three yards, by the way, on top of it. But J.D. McKissick wasn't either. There wasn't any running back really involved in the passing game this week for this team. So this might have become Antonio Gibson's backfield. I would say he's not a surefire flex for me going into next week. I would like to see it one more week before we become 100% confident in that being his role moving forward. But he is somebody who's entering that category that we're going to be taking a close look at. I also want to see him actually get more involved in the passing game, too. That's the other factor. But the Antonio Gibson payday is coming soon. On the Cardinal side of the ball, Kyler Murray just, you know, second week in a row, he's a fantasy stud. Not necessarily through the air. Didn't have a bad game through the air, though. 286 yards, a touchdown, an interception. But does it with his legs again. 67 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Absolutely great for fantasy purposes and will continue to be so because he runs all the time. He just He's going to have that high floor, plain and simple. Offense is built around Kyler Murray using his legs as a weapon. Kenyon Drake, he didn't have a big day, but he had a decent day. 20 carries, 86 yards, tacked on two catches for nine yards on two targets. If you're going to say that Kenyon Drake's going to get 22 touches, you're going to take that all day, every day. He's still going to be an RB2, even though he didn't find Pater in this game. Better days are ahead for Kenyon Drake. This isn't going to be an easy Washington team to run on. They have a pretty good front seven. So you don't have anything to worry about there, even though you didn't have the big day maybe that you're hoping for. DeAndre Hopkins, eight catches, 68 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. He's still head and shoulders the lead guy. He continues to show quite the rapport for not having much time to build that chemistry with Kyler Murray already. Larry Fitzgerald, seven targets, seven catches, 50 yards. He was the second pass catcher. It's just not a factor. DeAndre Hopkins is the only piece of this passing game that I really want to have. He's the only guy who I know is going to be consistent. He's the only guy who I know has the potential to score and the potential to go 100 yards. Everyone else is kind of like, eh. Christian Kirk was only four targets, two catches, 57 yards. He's he's droppable. Again, not hitting the flush down because he's somebody who wasn't 50% owned anyway, but if he is on your team, there's no reason to have him. DeAndre Hopkins is the only piece of this passing game I want. The Ravens and the Texans. Let's start with the Texans side. So Deshaun Watson has an okay day. We weren't expecting him to have a top 12 performance. I had him ranked as the 14th quarterback. Um, Big thing was he didn't get to use his legs too much. He only had 17 yards rushing, 275 yards passing, a touchdown, interception. As far as his actual NFL play, it was very streaky throughout this game. But I kind of expected it to be. This is a very good Baltimore Ravens defense. There is not a lot that teams are going to be able to do against this defense. I don't know if they're quite as good as Pittsburgh, but if the Steelers' defense and the Ravens' defense finish as the one and two defenses on the year, it would not shock me at all. 
this is not going to be an easy defense to move the ball, especially when their offense is controlling the ball the way that they are with their physical capabilities as well. David Johnson didn't have a great day, but with no Duke Johnson, he did have all of the running back work. And he continues to stay healthy, and he continues to look from a physical standpoint to look good. So better matchups equal better days ahead for David Johnson. I'm not going to worry about this one. You knew it was going to be tough going in. Will Fuller goose-egging people, that was surprising. Now, he came out for a little bit in this game with hamstring concerns. He did come back into the game, however. So he's not going to miss any time, or at least shouldn't. Zero targets. He had a carry for zero yards, but zero target. Will Fuller was not involved at all. Brandon Cooks, however, had a good game and looked much healthier this week than he did last week. One, this is a much tougher matchup, but he just looked much healthier this week. Led the team in targets with eight, five catches for 95 yards. He's somebody who's going to enter that high-end wide receiver three, start to creep into that wide receiver two territory for us moving forward. It's going to be a little bit matchup-based, but if he's able to have that kind of game against the Baltimore Ravens, you're going to feel more confident about him moving forward. Jordan Atkins was pretty involved. Seven catches, seven targets, 55 yards. He continues to be somebody we watched on the tight end list. The problem with him, though, is that his touchdown capability just gets cut because Darren Fells continues to find be the one who finds the red zone. That, that becomes the issue. So, But he's somebody we're going to have our eyes on from a volume standpoint. Randall Cobb was involved in this game. Uh, but I think in, in most games where Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks are both on the field, Will Fuller's not going to be goose egg. Randall Cobb will be the odd man out. I think you can only play Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller on any given week when when they're all healthy. So something else to kind of keep in mind moving forward. But I like what we saw there. Now, on the Ravens side of the ball, this will probably be Lamar Jackson's lowest fantasy day of the year. And it still wasn't bad. I mean, he only had 200 yards passing. They didn't have to throw the ball very much. only threw the ball 24 times. Had a passing touchdown. Had 54 yards rushing. He continues to be the, the main ball carrier. This really becomes the real issue for the Baltimore Ravens right now. This is the second week in a row that Lamar Jackson has led the team in carries and in rush attempts. So that, that kind of becomes worrisome because it's like, okay, well, where where do you, what do you do with Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards? Ingram was able to find pay dirt, but he's really nothing more than a touchdown-dependent flex. Nine carries in this game. Gus Edwards actually led the way with 10 carries. Now, most of that had to do with Gus Edwards. They pretty much just handed the ball off to him like they did in the past come the fourth quarter when they're up by a few scores already and just kind of let him close out the game instead of putting that wear and tear on Mark Ingram. But still, 10 carries, 73 yards. He winds up being the lead carrier on the day, lead rusher on the day. Just Ingram found a touchdown. Now, physically, Ingram looked like he was in better shape, looked much better than he did in week one. Had a 30-yard run scamper, looked more explosive. Now, this is a better matchup, too. But it's just, he's touchdown dependent. And dare I say, sell high on Mark Ingram? I don't know if this performance is enough to really be able to sell high with him. But if you can't even trust this guy to get 15 carries like he was last year, because they're going to rotate J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. By the way, Dobbins only had two carries in this game. He broke one for a 44-yarder at the very end of the game, but he only had two carries in this game. If they are really going to be a three-man carousel, you can't trust any of them because none of them actually have the goal line role. It could be any one of them. None of them really have the pass-down-down role. Other than Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins will be involved in the passing game any given week. 
This week, it was Mark Ingram more so than the other two. Three targets, two catches, 22 yards. That's why I say maybe sell high on Mark Ingram. Be like, hey, guess what? He scored a touchdown. They're getting back to him. Try to sell it that way. Looking for a flex player. That's what you have to aim for. You hold on to him. I mean, talk about a guy. If he has a two-touchdown performance while you have him, sell, 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 sell. Because not only is this running back rotation looking like a more like a three-man carousel, if there's going to be one guy who emerges at some point during the season, the odds are that one person would be J.K. Dobbins, not Mark Ingram. You know, barring injury, obviously. But sell, 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 sell. The second he has a two-touchdown performance, sell him for a flex play or a wide receiver two or an RB two, whatever you can sell him for, but sell him the second that happens. Because he's a touchdown-dependent flex. And he's going to be a matchup base for us. Marquise Brown did lead the way. Six targets, five catches, 42 yards. Disappointing consider the matchup. But again, they just they didn't have to be that aggressive in this game. They didn't have to throw the ball. They just they really physically just controlled this game from start to finish. Mark Andrews had the disappointing day. Three targets, one catch, 29 yards. Obviously, better days are ahead for Mark Andrews. Obviously, he's going to be one of the top three tight ends by the time the season's over. Maybe even top two if George Kittle misses a significant amount of time. So you're not worried about anything there. Just a disappointing day. Last game we're going to talk about, and we had a lot of games to talk about because there's only you know one Monday night game, so we went through 14 games here today. And that's the Kansas City Chiefs, Los Angeles Chargers, the first game of 2020 to go into overtime. What a great finish. The big story of this one, of course, was Tyrod Taylor, minutes before the game, had some sort of chest injury. They still never really gave us the details on how it happened, but had some sort of chest injury. And actually was taken to the hospital. So it was something very significant. And it led to Justin Herbert being the surprise star of the game. Herbert played well. But between not knowing the full details of what's going on with Tyrod, that he had to go to the hospital because of a chest injury, and the fact that Justin Herbert played pretty well, even though they didn't wind up getting the win, but against the top divisional opponent, there's a pretty good chance that Justin Herbert is the starter come week three. And if he plays well again, there's a decent chance that he's a starter for the rest of the season. Quite frankly. If that wound up being the case, what we saw today, I think, would be the fantasy value of the pass catchers moving forward. Which means Keenan Allen would get a big bump up. He had 10 targets in this game, 7 catches, 96 yards. Justin Herbert is a guy who likes to operate in the middle intermediate to short part of the field. That's what his game is. That's Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry all day. That's what we saw in this game. Six catches for 83 yards on eight targets for Hunter Henry. Who was left out? Mike Williams was left out. Now, he did have a target red zone that he could have caught, but he only had four targets in this game, two catches, 14 yards. And he wasn't targeted deep. It's really a shame because I thought Mike Williams might be on the cusp of a of more of a breakout season than we were anticipating. And if Justin Herbert winds up being the quarterback, that's not going to be the hap- that's not going to be the case. He's not a guy who pushes the ball down the field. He was never that guy in Oregon. That's not what he looks to do. He has the arm strength to do it, but that's not what he looks to do. So, you Keenan Allen owners out there, 
you're probably having your fingers and toes crossed that Justin Herbert continues to be the starting quarterback because as long as he is, Keenan Allen may become Keenan Allen again. And this offense will look more like a Phil Rivers offense. Which means that we would expect, even though it didn't really happen too much in this game, but Austin Eckler was more involved in the passing game. Four catches, 55 yards in this game on four targets. So he would go back to being somebody you can expect to get involved in the passing game again. The Chargers still might be a run-first team. They did everything they could to keep this ball on the ground. They did everything they could to eat up clock. They did everything they could to keep the Chiefs' offense on the bench. Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly combined for 39 carries in this game. Austin Eckler getting 16 carries for 93 yards, while Joshua Kelly not very efficient, but he does get 23 carries for 64 yards. Joshua Kelly, with that kind of volume, is a flex guy moving forward at at minimum. Dare I say, might have more more, We're talking about Mark Ingram selling high. Joshua Kelly might have more value than Mark Ingram at this point just based on the volume, based on the situation. He has a clear-cut role. And he doesn't have a quarterback who's going to lead the team in carries every single week. So Harper goes over 300 yards in his, his passing debut, a touchdown interception. Like I said, he was pretty good. We'll wait and see exactly what's going to happen in the situation, but considering Taylor had to go to the hospital, a pretty good chance at least week three, Justin Herbert's the guy. So we're going to see that's going to have huge fantasy implications for this team moving forward, exactly what everyone's value is going to be and how that's going to change. On the Chiefs' side of the ball, they were held in check all the way up until the fourth quarter and up until overtime. Patrick Holmes, 300 yards, two touchdowns. Wasn't pretty, got it done. Also tacked on 54 yards rushing. Was the lead rusher on the day. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire only had 10 carries for 38 yards. Again, remember, this was a game in which the Chiefs didn't have the ball very much until the fourth quarter and had to come back from behind. But he was much more involved in the passing game, which is this is more what we expected Clyde Edwards to be about. Eight targets for six catches and 32 yards in this game. That's more what we expect his game to be. Darrell Williams got hurt in this game. It got called a hamstring injury. I don't believe he ever came back in this one, so it's something we're going to have to watch. Darwin Thompson wound up being the number two after Darrell Williams went down, so that's something we're going to keep our eyes on as well moving forward. But you know, better days are ahead for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The big thing was that we saw him finally get involved in the passing game this week. Travis Kelsey was great. Nine catches, 90 yards, touchdown, 14 targets, led the team in targets by far. Oh, the one thing I do have to mention, Sammy Watkins went out early in this game. He got took a hit to the head. It never got really actually any confirmation if it was definitely going through the concussion protocol, but I have to imagine that's what the situation was. He never came back in this game. So that's why he gets the bad output, the three targets for a catch in 11 yards. Here's what I will say. Miko Harmon, Demarcus Robinson only had three and four targets in their own right. So even though Sammy Watkins went out early in this game, the other receivers behind him didn't really step up in a big way. It was all Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill had 11 targets, 5 catches for 99 yards, and a touchdown. All came in the second half. Starting off with a 54-yard touchdown, that really that was really the turning point of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. So the fact is that you still play Hill, you still play Kelsey, you still play Clyde Edwards-Hurley, so we have Patrick Mahomes. And we'll get back to you on Sammy Watkins. It's pretty much the analysis there as far as fantasy purposes for the Chiefs go. That is going to wrap up the show. 
I know a lot of content when we had the recap show on, on Sunday. There's just so much to get through, especially this week with so many injuries. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I hope you guys are all caught up. We're going to be back tomorrow, of course, with the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report, which is going to be heavily sought after this week. Going to have heavy implications, not just for week three, but forward. And we'll give you what our top guys are going to be and who it is you spend your fab budget on, who it is you should uh, spend your priority on. And who might be able to change your team down the road, especially if you're down 0-2 and you find yourself in that situation. Everyone, make sure you're checking us out on your favorite podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you like to go. And make sure you download the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app so you can listen to us live on Thursdays and Fridays from 12 to 1. Hopefully starting this week, we'll have confirmation for you guys when you follow us on social media at Show on Twitter and Facebook. And you're going to want that for the player news update notifications as well. Everyone stay healthy, stay safe. I hope you guys win if it's coming down to your Monday night matchups. And we'll talk about it in tomorrow's show. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.